We're in a series called One Month to Live, and this is the third week. And in week one, we talked about um, living in the moment. And the theme around the whole series is this. If we had one month to live, how would we live our lives differently? Where would we spend our time, our money, our resources? What would we say to those that are closest to us in that month? And in week two, we had what we called an eternal perspective and that we took a look at what eternity looked like. And living for the eternal perspective was kind of the goal there. And then this is week three, and in week three, we're going to be talking about leaving a legacy. Now, I want to just kind of read the scripture that's sort of our theme scripture here this morning. It comes from Psalm 39, verse 4 through 5, and it says this, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. And this is a prayer basically saying, you know, don't let me get so focused that, you know, I've got all this time in the world to do whatever I want. He's saying, Lord, remind me that my time is short. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you at best. Each of us is just a breath. And that just kind of puts it in perspective for us and how short our time on earth is compared to eternity in heaven. So this morning we're going to talk about living with our legacy in mind. Now, I got to be honest with you. I don't get up in the morning and go, you know what, today I need to work on my legacy. You know, after my alarm clock goes off, I get up, I go in my kitchen, I pour the Starbucks coffee in, pour the water, go, starts brewing, go in, take a shower, you know, brush my teeth. Then after I get dressed, you know, may get on Facebook to see how many Farmville requests people have sent me. And y'all laugh and some of y'all send them to me. How many people want to add me to my birthday calendar, Right? Or how many new sayings somebody has put on the Willy Wonka picture? You know what I'm talking about? And then I go, all right, Facebook check, getting ready to go. Oh, you know what? I forgot. Let me work on my legacy just a little bit. It's not something we think about. It's something we need to be intentional about. Now, we all will be remembered for something when we're gone. The question is, how will we be remembered? How will they talk about us? When we're gone, what kind of person will they say, oh, Jared, man, I tell you what, he was just this type of person. What stories will they tell about the life that we lived on this earth? What memories will people have of us? Now, I got to be honest, growing up, I have a lot of great memories. I was the very adventurous type. I was always into stuff. I like to build, but I like to tear stuff up better. My dad used to always say this, Jared, you could tear up an anvil. And I was like, I have no idea what an anvil is, but you're probably right. And I remember growing up, you know, we used to, my, my family and I, we spent a lot of time together, real, real close family. And my parents were very influential into me and my calling and serving in ministry and have a lot to do with that. And um, as a parent, you know, how I treat my wife and my little girl was modeled by, you know, a great example from my family. And my dad was kind of the fixer, okay? He was like the innovator. He'd come up. We built stuff all the time. And my mom, her name's Betty, but, you know, we called her Betty Crocker because she could cook and sew and just everything you'd want to do. I mean, just awesome. Growing up was awesome. 
And some of the things I think about, you know, in my life growing up and some things that come to mind, some of those highlight moments that, you know, you share, the funny, the sad, the, the cheerful moments. I just kind of wrote a couple down and I figured, you know, I'd, I'd share just a few of those with you um, in my life growing up. And, you know, one of the things that I learned very early on was you are very respectful in church, Okay. You didn't cut up, you didn't joke. I mean, I could tell you story after story, you know, of um, how my dad would set me straight. You know, one of the things I learned is you don't stand on tables during Sunday school when the teacher tells you not to and get caught by your dad. That always ends bad. You don't run on the pews during worship when you're like, hey, and, you know, I guess you could just see my head, you know, because everybody's standing, you just see this little head. And I remember standing there uh, on the edge of the pew, and he's walking out to the bathroom, you know, and it's like one of those secret service, take them out, nobody even notice moments. You know what I'm talking about? Like, he's walking down the aisle, I'm like, that's my dad, boom, and just grabs you, and you're being drugged backwards like this. <laughs> Like, where am I going? And he took me to the secret room, <laughs> bathroom, and <clears throat> he could take the belt off with one hand, grab the other end with the other hand while holding me, and it's amazing. So I learned that, you know, him and I, we used to build all kinds of stuff. We did Pinewood Derby cars. We built tree houses. And I remember on my tree house, we had one of those ladders that you climb up, you know. And I was like, man, I love this thing. And I would take the ladder and pull it all the way up so nobody else could get up there. I tried to keep all the girls away. Not that I ever had any girls ever try to chase me, but, you know, that's what in case I needed it. We used to take He-Man. You remember He-Man, anybody? Remember He-Man? We used to take them He-Man action figures, and we would take the plastic bags, like grocery bags or, or garbage bags, and we'd cut them up, and we'd tie these little ropes to them and make parachutes. And we'd go up in my treehouse, and we'd throw them out of my treehouse, and they'd just, you know, parachute down. It was just so cool. And then I learned that um, you don't burn leaves in a ditch using gas. That always ends badly. Um, I remember... It was almost like it was yesterday. <clears throat> My eyebrows have finally grown back. But I, we had put all these leaves into the ditch in our yard and um, raked them on. He's like, you know, I'll just pour some gas on it, you know. So he's like. <laughs> just pouring it all out, you know. And he's like, all right, stand back because, you know, we're going to be cautious a little bit. And um, so, you know, lit it and threw it on there and you know I guess the best way I could describe it would be um, it was like whoosh and the leaves went <laughs> you, ever, you ever seen something like that and we were like whoa and I went screaming like a little girl back to the house and the neighbor he walks over there, and our neighbor, he's just standing there. You know, there's always that one neighbor, you know, he's standing He's like, well, looks like you got it going, didn't you? You know. <laughs> yep, and it's done, <laughs> quickly. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, that was one of the memories that, that stick out. And then I remember um, our, we always had these 
uh, carpenter bees at our house. I mean, we had all kinds of insects and birds. I remember I could tell you a story about the birds in the chimney. That was unique. And then the squirrel in the chimney. That was funny. Uh, but I remember this one time we had these carpenter bees that were um, underneath our screen and porch. And the carpenter bees would, um, you know, they'd burrow holes into the wood, into the, the concrete part. And I used to always have to cut the grass. And so when I'd cut the grass and I'd get to that part of the yard, you know, it was like, all right, because, you know, bees just love noise and vibration, you know. That means they just, they have to come out to see what's going on. They don't want to miss out on any action. And so, you know, I'm here and I'd, I'd ride by this one place in beside our house and I'd always put it in seventh gear. And you know how it's got the, the tortoise and the hare, like on the, on the gas, I mean, you know, throttle, I put always, and I'd, you know, let that thing kind of run, wound up, I'd hold myself on the brake, and then I'd let it go, ah! I mean, not that it burns tires on the grass, but you get my point. And I would cut as fast as I could past, because I knew the carpenter bees were going to come out, and, um, you know, they were going to go swarming and stuff like that, and I was scared of them, so I would cut the yard, like, made it another day. Well, it came to the point where we're like, finally, we got to do something about it. You know, I'm tired of these carpenter bees. I'm tired of getting, you know, chased. And so my dad's like, all right, Jared, we're going to take them out. We're suiting up. I'm like, all righty. He's like, so we made our own bee suits, I guess you would say. He's like, put on lots of long sleeves. You know, I, you know, I've got like long sleeve shirts and coats and pants. I'm looking like the kid off the Christmas story coming out, you know, football helmet. I don't know what that's going to do, but football. And I've got, he's, I got two tennis rackets and one in each hand, you know, and we're standing out there. And he makes up this nice concoction of, I don't know what you call it, like stuff that Asha would probably shut us down for, ammonia and yeah, who knows. And you put it like on the water hose and you spray it. And so basically what we did is we'd get them all, you know, we got ready and I ran up there and we like, you know, beat on the side of the house and they come out and I'm just, foo, foo, I'm like the matrix, just knocking them down and he's spraying them and our neighbor comes out like, what is going on over there? Drinking his coffee. But you know, these are like moments that were just kind of reliving your head that were so fun. But you know what? All the things that were fun, all the things that were great, all the spankings I got. You know what I remember and what's more special to me than anything else that we ever did as a family? And that was our times as a family sitting down and reading the Bible and doing a devotional as a family and praying. Because those are the moments that you know when they're gone. I mean, these are moments you transfer that you pour into your family and your children. And I was so thankful you know, to, to be able to have parents that were like that, that put that as a priority in our life. And, and so here's what's happened. Because it was such a priority for me as a kid, it's become a priority for my wife and I, and we have a little 19-month-old. And um, I tell you, it's, it's, it's funny. I mean, you know, kids are awesome. It, it's to the point now where our little girl will not let us put her to bed without reading her Bible and praying every single day. And every day that we take her to school on the way, she goes, Daddy, pray. So, you know, I'm riding, I'm riding down the road, I'm holding her hand, and we pray every single day going to school. And she gets up and just randomly, she's like, Daddy, Bible. She'll run, go get her Bible and come up. And she's 19 months, and it's just, I mean, she loves, she can like, you know, name all the characters and all the just different things. And, and, and it's just like, it's the highlight 
like of my day and my night, to be able to pour back in to our kids. So um, I figured I'd just kind of show you maybe this in action just a little bit. So me and Amanda took a camera and we videoed our little girl. And I'll just kind of preface this by saying I hadn't shaved, it was late, she's a one-year-old, so she was a little ornery, but um, we just kind of want to give you an idea of what this looks like. So take a look. Kylie, can you go get your Bible? Go get your Bible. Go get it. It's in your room. Go get it. Good job. Uh oh. You laughed at my daughter falling. Y'all are sick. Let's sit. Good job. Okay. Let's read. Yeah. Let's read this. Noah made a boat and God made it float when the water covered the earth like a coat. What is that? A sheep. What does a sheep say? Bah. Bah. What is this? What's a lion say? Roar. Roar. What is that one right there? A bunny. A bunny? What does a bunny do? Hop, hop. Hop, hop. And then what's this one? Digga, gaba. <laughs> what? That's a bear. And then what does a bear say? Roar. Roar. Okay. Let's look at this one right here. Say, Jesus knelt to pray, saying, take this cup away. But Father, let your will be done. Please do it your way. What's that? Moon. Moon. And who is that right there? Jesus. Jesus. And what is he doing? Praying. Praying. Can you show me praise? Praise. Can we pray? Let's pray. Let's say our night night prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Amen. Amen. Can you say I'm kind? I'm kind. Mug. I'm smart. Beautiful. I'm beautiful. Funny. I'm important. And I'm special. Kiss, kiss. <laughs> Little dialogue off the movie The Help, you know, we just say that and it's kind of cute. Well, here's the thing though our lives were shaped by the people who are older than us, our parents, our grandparents, people who poured into us. And now we have that responsibility in shaping the lives of those of you who have children or eventually will have children. But here's the thing, like I, under, I get this, I understand that not everybody's life looks like that. Like you may be here this morning and you're like, you know, my, my household was terrible. Growing up as a kid, you know, I was a single, I, my mom, you know, was a single parent, or my dad was a single parent, or parents were divorced. Maybe you never even knew your mom or dad. Maybe you lived in foster care. Maybe you lived with your grandparents. Like, I have no idea, and I understand that not everybody has that perfect, and when it wasn't perfect, by no means, but you, you, you get my point. But here's what I do know. Every one of us, was influenced and shaped 
by those around us, how they disciplined, how they loved, and that carries over into our lives and how we lead as parents and even those of you who aren't parents, how may you, you may treat your spouse and so forth. Now, we are the ones that are shaping our families and the morals for our families and our children. Our attitudes and our integrity is determined on what kind of legacy that we will leave. Here's the point I want you to get this morning. The life that you live will determine the legacy that you leave. The life that you live will determine the legacy that you leave. Now, I want to set up this passage of Scripture. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Judges chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Those of you who may be very familiar with the story of Moses and Joshua, but I'll just kind of give you a quick highlight. You know, Moses was responsible for leading the people, God's people out of slavery. And Moses got a chance to be a part of so many different miracles, the parting of the Red Sea and you know, Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go and all the plagues. I mean, hey, and all that's kind of going on, I think, still maybe on the Bible channel, which is our history channel, the, the, the Bible show. But Moses, you know, as he's leading the, the children towards the promised land and they're walking around in the wilderness, you know, the story goes that uh, Moses was disobedient and God doesn't allow him to lead them into the promised land. And so Joshua, who's kind of the one next in line, comes up. And Joshua takes over and he leads them into Canaan. And Joshua's got to see uh, some amazing stuff. He got to see the sun stand still in his prayer to God and fighting the battle. Joshua, you know, and the whole battle of Jericho. And, you know, there's just so many different things that they got to see how God was moving. But here's the thing. Eventually, down the road, Joshua and they, you know, go to Canaan and people are, you know, they scatter about and they get their inheritance, you might call it. And another generation comes up. And this is what we get a chance to see in Judges chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. And it says this, And after that, the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, and another generation grew up who neither or who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Now just think about that for a second. All the things that Moses, Joshua had seen, the generation after that happens to come along and they don't know the Lord or what he had done. Now, maybe it was experience, maybe they just figured that hey, they'll hear the stories I was reading some commentary that, you know, on this passage of Scripture, and um, one of the persons had said that, you know, maybe they just thought that the, the God's deeds were enough to carry over. But they hadn't poured and invested into this next generation. And because of that, they didn't know God and what he had done. And verse 11 says, And then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they served Baals, which is foreign gods. And so because of that, they turn, they're wicked, they're evil, and they turn completely away from God. Now, here's the thing. As we look at this passage, this is actually happening right now in our society. I mean, you, you think back of all the revivals and all the things that have taken place in 50, 100 years in our society and our children. This is happening right now. That there are so many children and youth and young adults that are falling away and never coming back 
They're never coming back to God. And I believe that part of the reason is, is that we're not pouring into the kids. I mean, I was a youth pastor for five years here at this church. And I got a chance to see firsthand the models that, that some of, you know, the parents were displaying for these children. Maybe it was just the failure to teach them to love and fear the Lord. And when you fail to teach your, your children to fear and love the Lord, it is a perfect success for moral decay. Maybe they believe that, he, like I said earlier, the examples were enough. But here's the thing. This shows that true Christianity is not biologically transmitted. Now, as parents, it's our responsibility to lead the family. You're like, wait, I'm not a parent. Well, hey, guess what? Hopefully, you know, you'll be one day or, um, you know, you're young, 15, 17. It's, we'll talk about that, those of you that are here young in just a moment. But to lead our families and towards, based on godly principles. And this will help to transcend into our kids as they grow up, their legacies as well. Now, if we choose to say or do nothing about it, then we leave it to society to shape what they are. Now, that's scary, right? I mean, because if we don't really say anything or do anything, if we just kind of go without and let them kind of figure it out on their own, then we're just letting the Osbournes or the Kardashians explain what our lives are supposed to look like or People Magazine, TV, or the internet, when we don't take that role and responsibility. So the first thing that we need to do to leave a godly legacy is this. We need to say the words that God wants us to say. As a youth pastor for five years, I can't tell you how many different times I counseled with uh, both you know, high school girl and boys and um, as a chance to sit down and, and see and hear their hearts just pouring out. I mean, many of them just broken, broken homes, broken families. And, and I had, literally, I had people that my wife and I would counsel with say, you know, my dad has never told me he loved me. I had girls say, my dad doesn't hug us, doesn't tell us he loves us. I had guys that, you know, would talk about how their mom, it was just business, it was all about the job, they're just not a priority, and they're just broken, and they're crying out, and they just want to feel loved. And as a teacher for six, or for three years, I got a chance to see a lot more even dysfunction. I remember as a first-year teacher at Southern One, you know the saying, they throw you to the wolves? That's what happened. Lateral entry, first year teacher, went to Southern Wayne, taught sports marketing, okay? Sports marketing. And so, you know, everybody went in there with the thinking that, hey, we're going to do something sports. We're going to play sports. That's what they wanted to know. We're not playing sports. It's marketing. And, and so I, I, the, the class that I had, you know, was um, made up of many different people that were from no, no dads, no moms, grandparents. Many of them live on their own with friends. I mean, it was just, it was heartbreaking. And I, and I go in there, you know, here I am. I've grown up in the bubble of Rosewood my whole life. 
And uh, y'all know what I'm talking about, especially those who go, you know, went to Rosewood. And I'm, I'm going in there like, I don't get it. Why can't these kids just act like normal? Why do they have to lash out? And the language and just, I mean, I wrote, more, I was killing paper, ISS notes all the time. And I remember this one girl, um, she was a ninth grader. And she, oh my goodness, it was just so heartbreaking. Uh, she, I remember one day I told her, I said, you know, you need to, she was playing with, I think her phone said, you need to put it up. And she took and just flipped, started flipping all the desks over in the class. Like, all right. And then she proceeded to call me in very creative ways, words that I'd never been called before. You get the picture. And then the awkward part was me having to write down what she called me on the ISS note for their records. And I was like, let me see. How did she word it again? You know? And, and I'm like, well, I don't get it. Why don't, you know, how can people literally just be that mean, that rude? And then through talking with uh, even some of the people that are here in this service and through prayer and just even looking at this passage, it just, it dawned on me. The same reason that the Israelites turned away is the same reason that these kids who I was teaching had turned away. They have no model. They have no godly model in their lives to lead them in their They've never seen the love and the forgiveness and the grace. In Proverbs chapter 4, we see Solomon and he's talking to his son. And he's giving him these words of wisdom. And he tells him this, my son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. If like one warning was enough, let me give you four. It's like, you know, as a parent, okay, what did I say? Okay, tell me again. All right, don't do this, don't do this. He's going to his son. He says, listen up, pay attention. Don't let them out of your sight. I see, you know, like your, your parents, you know, would say, don't let them out of your sight when you're babysitting them. Keep them within your heart for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. See, here's the thing. It's not enough just to tell your children or those around you what not to do without giving them a model of what it looks like to do it. We can't just say, don't do that. You have to give them the model of what they should do. And that's what he's doing here. He's telling them, look, you have to guard your heart. And by guarding your heart, your eyes will be pure. And by guarding your heart, your lips will be clean. And by guarding your heart, your feet will take you on the right path because the heart is the wellspring of life. And I think that many of the students that I taught aren't going to leave a godly legacy. Why? Again, because they have nobody pouring into them and giving them life. Now, you may be here and you may be a dad and you've never, ever prayed with your family. I believe there's probably some people here. Maybe you're okay at it. or Maybe you're a dad that, you know, means business. You know, we pray as a family. We eat as a family. We read our Bible together as a family. You may be a, a mom who is here and you know you're one way at church and another way completely different and I, and I understand we all mess up maybe you're a teen here and, and you're just uh, kind of at that stage and your mom made you sit here today and you've just been rebelling they've been telling you, you need to do this 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 you need to do this and you're like oh I'm 
14. Come on, Mom. You know, I can go to the mall by myself. And you're just rebelling. But here's the thing. No matter where you find yourself, your legacy of how people remember you, of what people will say about you when you're gone is at stake. And the ones we influence will follow the model that we set forth because the life we live will determine the legacy that we leave. The second thing we have to do is do what God sent us to do. So we've been given this huge responsibility, right? I mean, as parents, to raise up a child, that's, if that's not enough. But think about this for a second. What is our purpose? God created us not just to take up space. Every one of us has a plan. Every one of us, he has a will for our lives. And we are called, obviously, in the Bible we read, we're called to be light and we're called to evangelize and we're called to serve and we're called to raise up the next generation. We're called to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves, right? Because that's the greatest, you know, commission. That's the greatest thing that we can do as individuals while we are here. But I know, I know what many of you may be thinking. You have no idea how I grow up. You have no idea what I went through, and I understand that. You may be here and you go, well, you know what, we're not perfect and we, we fall. I'm that person that you described. Maybe your family is, it's a great family. It could be a, a, a perfect family, but it's not a priority for you to f- be founded upon godly principles. And here's the thing. As I look all throughout Scripture, I only find one perfect person. And that was Jesus, which is good news for us, Right? And as I look all throughout Scripture from the beginning to the end, we see lots of mess-ups and lots of dysfunction. But you know what's so cool about that? It's the reason why, the reason that God uses those individuals is because He knows that He'll get the glory. Because if everybody was perfect, if everybody said and did the right thing and they had the power, I mean, you know, that's what you'd expect. I mean, you look at the story of Adam and Eve, Right? I mean, they messed it up from like right at the beginning. And then they went on to have a son who killed another son. I mean, talk about bad, right? You fast forward a little bit and you get the story of Noah, right? Noah was after, you know, he loved God and he he had, you know, this big task of building the boat and saving the, the whole world. And then Noah, you know, it's like, man, Noah was just all about the kingdom. But then there was that one part, you know, where Noah got drunk and was naked and people had to put clothes on him, you know. Then you look at the story of Joseph, right? Talk about really dysfunction on all the brothers trying to kill him, sell him off as a slave. The dad playing favorites. I mean, you know, treating him better than everybody else. Then you see David, right? David and the the Goliath, the giant, man, killed him. David's the man. You know, David do anything, wrestle bears and kill Lions and tigers and bears. All right. <laughs> Seeing if y'all are still awake. You know, David, David's the man, king. But there was that one time where he messed up and committed adultery with Bathsheba. And we see Mary and Joseph, right? And I love what Reggie Joyner, how he says this. He says, you know, Mary and Joseph, when, when there's finally hope, you know, okay, got a little bit of functionality here and you get this picture of Mary and Joseph and how great parents they are. And then there was that time where they forgot Jesus for three days. (laughs) 
And if social services was around in biblical times, they'd have probably taken Jesus away from them. But here's the thing that I know. It's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. Hear me. It's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. Look at Paul. Look at Peter. Wanted nothing to do with Christianity. Wanted to kill Christians. Look how they finished and how they were remembered. Do a little bit of kind of statistic stuff going on here for a moment. Any NASCAR fans in here? Now, I know NASCAR people are like way crazier than that. I've seen it on TV, ESPN. I'll let you off today, though. So, uh, any Jeff Gordon fans? No. Okay. All right. Ruins my illustration. Jeff Gordon, 2012 at the Sprint Cup in Pocono, finished first place. You could probably go, oh, yeah, I remember that. Finished first place. Can you tell me what place he started? 27th. Nobody remembers how you start. They remember how you finish. Tony Stewart, 2012, Sprint Cup in Daytona. Anybody know what he finished? First. Come on. But he started 42nd. If you were a Tony Stewart fan, big Tony Stewart fan, and follow you, I remember that, you know, he finished first. What did he start? I ain't got no idea. I just know he finished first, right? UNC, Chapel Hill, NCAA men's basketball, 2009. Might tell me what place they finished. First. First place. Anybody tell me what they were seated at the beginning of the year? What did I say? Who cares? Exactly. <laughs> I didn't look it up, actually, so it didn't matter. But if I were to say, you know, I know the score. I knew they beat Michigan State 89 to 72. But what was the score at the beginning of the second half? It doesn't matter. Look what they finished. It doesn't matter what you've done. As parents, up to this point, you can start right now leaving a godly legacy and leading your family towards godly principles. Maybe there's a situation that you need to make right. I mean, it's sad, you know, that uh, people will treat the greeters at Walmart better than they will their family, right? You know, total dysfunction on the way to the car, everybody yelling, probably Sunday morning, because that's when the devil likes to attack everybody. Got to go to Walmart, you know, stay away. I know there's going to be like 50 of y'all going to Walmart after this is over, so you better be nice to the greeter. But, um, but it's so sad. Like I, I talk and I've talked with people that are like, man, I haven't talked to my parents in months. I haven't talked to my kid or my brother or my sister in a year. Because we're too busy worrying about our pride to swallow it and make a fresh start. The third thing that we need to do is live the way that God wants us to live. Now, here's the bad news. Every one of us is going to die. Every single one of us will pass away when our time's up. And here's the thing. What's worse than that is sometimes it takes people almost their entire life to realize who God is and what God wants them to do. But you know what? That's okay. I mean, we look at a thief on the cross, right? I mean, that's not the example I'm saying that you go out and do. 
But you see what I'm saying? That some people wait, some people find God early on. But the but principle is this, we all will pass away. We're, we're gone. When we're gone, they're going to have a meeting about us, right? They're going to have a meeting about us and probably a pastor will sit around with the family and go, tell me a little bit about Jared. What did he like? What did, what did he do? You know, what were some of his favorite things? And you know, tell me about how, how did he give? How did he serve the church? How did he, you know, what is, as a family, what did y'all like to do so that they can stand up at a you know, podium or um, where, you know, whatever you call it there at the funeral home and, and read off these stories about how each one of us were. And they'll say, tell me about him. And maybe they'll say, he was a great dad. He loved his family. He loved his daughter. He served his church. He grew up in the church. And, you know, he loved God with all his heart. Or, you know, she just served. You should have seen her at the soup kitchen every single week. And you should hear the stories that she has. I mean, just a great person. I mean, or it may be something like this. Because this happens. I mean, I've talked with many, uh, Pastor Andy and some of these other pastors who have sat and gone to these funeral homes and sat down with the family and talked with people who are non-Christian, who didn't know Christ. Some of them really bad people. And they go, what can you tell me about them? Because he's supposed to get up there and speak to the people that are there and there's just kind of this awkward silence. And maybe they muster up something like, well, he sure liked Doug Dynasty. <laughs> and everybody laughs, right? But it makes us feel better to, to kind of make light of the situation. Or, man, he is, that Pastor Farrell was the die-hardest NC State fan I ever saw. Because, see, I could go out right now, and I, I guarantee I could poll many of you and I'd go, tell me about your dad. And you would be like, oh, oh, oh let me tell you about my dad. Oh. You talked about the gas story. Look, me and my dad, we did something even bigger than that. We, and you just light up. And you go into these stories and you're telling me about how you built forts and how you did this. And he used to take you hunting and he used to take you fishing. Or I may say, tell me about your dad. I ask somebody else and they go, he, hard, he worked hard. I didn't really see him a whole lot, you know. But he, he did what he could to provide for our family. He was gone a lot. You know, work was a priority. Or I may come up to you and say, hey, can you tell me about your mom or your dad? And you may tighten up. You may get real tight. You may put your head down. You may even cry. And say, you know, my dad left me. My mom left me. My dad beat me. I was abused. He's still in jail. I I don't know what your story is. Is, but here's what I know. I know it's never too late to start living the legacy that God wants you to live as it is right now. Because here's the thing we think we got so much time, right? We just say, I got plenty of time. I'll, I'll do it later. I got time. If you had one month to live, what would you want your kids to know? And the next question I would ask is, have you told them that? What would you want your parents to know? What would you say to the person that maybe you've been ignoring for a month or even years, the forgiveness that you need to extend to someone? 
Because here's the thing, it's not too late for you. Be the person that God has called you to be. Be the man and be the wife. You go, well, you know what? You have no idea what I've done. You don't know the hypocrite that I am. Here's the thing. I don't need to know what you've done. You know why? Because I already know what he's done. I don't have to. So I know that grace and mercy and forgiveness flows like a fountain from our heavenly father and covers every sin and everything that you've ever done. That no matter how far away you run to the east or to the west, God's hand is big enough. And and our life is so short that we can't take these moments for granted. It's time now for us to seize and start raising up this generation in this church that we call the bridge to leave a godly legacy. The life that we live will determine the legacy that, le- that we leave. Now I wanna just kinda introduce a video to you real quick. Um, the young lady I'm gonna show you, her name is Tanya Watts. And Tanya was in a car accident right here at 581 where the Walmart is in Rosewood. And the car hit her going 78 miles an hour And she was not in her car. She was crossing the highway. And she died three times at the scene of the accident in the the ambulance, I believe, and when they life-flighted her to pit. And Tanya has an amazing story. And we took this and we, you know, had to shrink it down to about five minutes. But it's unbelievable how God has moved and restored her. And I want to tell you this. I didn't even know this till after first service, but I showed this first service and Tanya was sitting right over here and, you know, she was just weeping to see, you know, where she had come from. Because we've all made mistakes. I've made mistakes. I'm not the best parent in the world. I mean, my wife was sitting here first service and I will give you her number. You can Facebook her. She can tell you a list of things. I am sure of how I don't stand here like I'm holy. But you know what we are? We're intentional. We mess up, but we're still intentional and pouring into our family and making God a priority. And so here's the cool thing about Tanya. The first person on the scene to the accident that was given her CPR was one of the guys that attends here. And he didn't know this at the time. He had no idea whether if if it helped if she lived or what. But when we showed this video today, he just broke down in tears and went and they united. And he said, I was the person that gave you CPR. When you were there, you were dead. And she's lived. What an amazing story. And God, here's the thing. Tanya, she tells you a little bit about her background and what she was kind of into. But she is so sold out and on fire now for God. And all she talks about is the bridge. She's like, you know what? I'm not going to let my past be my future, and I'm going to start living now, even if I'm in a wheelchair, the legacy that God wants me to live. So if you guys will take a look at that. My name is Tanya Marie Watts. I've lived a very good life and um, lived in a home where praising God and having God in their life is very, very, was very, very important. Things were so good when I was young, and um, I mean, I can't explain to you how great it was. You know, everybody's life seemed to be good when they're younger. But things started to change as I got older, 
I lost my mother when I was 27 years old. Um, that played a big role in my life after that. Um, I began to not care about myself. Um, I let myself go. Um, I turned to motorcycle riders, um, booze, alcohol, drugs. Um, uh, I mean, it was just awful. And I continued that until the age of, uh, well, let's say the age of 50. Things would happen to me, like, you know, I get arrested for DUI, and that kept going on continuously. DUI here and DUI there, and every time I turned around, I was in jail for DUIs. Police actually got tired of me, so they just um, sent me to prison. I did 45 days in the prison for a DUI, and it was like the Lord was speaking out to me and saying to me, uh, have you had enough yet? On December 5th, 2008, I was uh, crossing the highway, going to Walmart. I was struck by a vehicle. During that time, I had a, I had a, uh, a feeling of fear. Um, I put my hands out to y'all, no, don't hit me but that didn't work. Um, the car was going so fast trying to make the green light that it couldn't slow down. And right that second I knew it was over. I passed away three times. The first time when the car came in contact with my body. The second time was when I was in the ambulance. And the third time was when I was being life-blighted to Vinmore Hospital. I had two broken arms, a broken pelvic, um, all my ribs were broken. I had a, 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 a five level, excuse me, level five brain damage. Um, uh, my neck was out to here, my head was out to here. But the doctors had told my husband and told my previous church family that I would not live. And at that time, they sent me home to die. God continued to heal me. I had to go through speech therapy to learn how to talk again. Um, it took me a long time to be able to tie my shoes, to be able to hold a spoon. I know now that God had a different plan for me. I did 180. Um, Things have changed my life. I have uh, continued to go forward with um, not drinking anymore, not doing anything like I used to. I'm a total different person. It's been a long road, but I'm, I know with God's help I'm going to get there. That's a promise he's been made, or he, I, have, I have taken from him. I know that the Lord does not lie, and I know I will make it. Brothers and sisters, hear me today, because what I'm saying to you is please don't wait until this happens to you. Don't wait until something bad happens in your life. Please try to understand not to take things for granted ever. 
I'm just so thankful they gave me another chance. The Lord gave me another chance to be who I really want to be and who I really want to be because he knows who I am. So like he knows who you are. It took me to get hit by a car to realize what's really going on, you know? And, you know, in a way, I, I was unhappy because it happened, but in a way, I'm glad it happened because now I have him back in my life again, and I'll keep him there. What an awesome story, right? Recovery and just how she's serving God in this church. And who would have thought? Will you guys stand up with me? <clears throat> just bow your heads and if you're there with your spouse or your family, just kind of put your arms around them. And my prayer is this, that we would all be mindful and realize that we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Our life is so short. At any moment, we could be gone. The question is, what will they say about us? Are we just a good person and that was it? Did we lead our family in the path that God wants us to follow?